add this, what an example you are to us. So passionate about Jesus and sharing your faith. And uh, we want to be more like you. And that's why we're doing this series. Uh, we started it last week. I, I'm looking forward to speaking today. If you know me at all, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you will know that I am passionate about leading a church that uh, tells people about Jesus. And uh, I hope you, you, you feel like that. And uh, uh, it's great to see you here. Uh, in fact, uh, just before I get into the message, I would, just, uh, would you be good enough to pray for, for myself and Deb? We are going on an overseas uh, ministry trip. Uh, so on Thursday, we'll be flying to Mexico. So next uh, Sunday, I'll be preaching in uh, uh, Guadalajara in a church there, visiting friends, doing uh, uh, a leadership. On the, we kind of arrived very late on Thursday, more, more or less Friday. Uh, and then Saturday morning, speaking at leaders' breakfast, and then preaching for the church on Sunday. Then we go to California on Monday. I'd like the church to pray for me for that. I sense a lack of faith in the room there. For I'm not praying for you. If you're going to California, I'm not praying for you. I resent the fact that you're going to California. But we, we are visiting a good church there, about six, 700 um, church. They've asked us to go and just spend a, a, a day or two with them. I saw the program come through. We arrive late in the afternoon, evening meeting, and then the next day starts 6.30, first meeting. Gosh, they're going to get their pound of flesh while we're there. And then on the Friday, we fly two flights across to St. Louis, which is the main purpose of the visit. We're speaking in the church of around 1,000 people, uh, three a morning services, preaching at them all, and then staying on and being the main speaker at a leadership conference, about 30 churches represented, about 100 leaders and all I'm going to be doing is telling them about us. So you want to, well, man, we need to pray, don't we? So I'd, I'd uh, appreciate your prayers for that. And then we fly back, and I'll see you all here on the 3rd. I'll be, you know, no jet lag at all. I'll be high-fiving everyone. And so you want to avoid me on the 3rd, basically. No, no, I'm joking. So um, value your prayers. In fact, one of the things I've been really privileged to do is travel quite a lot, far more than uh, I ever expected when I left my job and became a, a youth pastor some 20, 30 years ago now. Yeah, it must be nearly 30 years ago. I never thought I'd travel as much as I, I, uh, I have. It's a real honour and privilege. Um, some of you would have heard me tell this story before, but it's just such a standout memory. Uh, it was on an occasion when I went to China. I've been to China twice. I've visited five major cities there. On this occasion, I was in Shenyang, which is four hours uh, north of the North Korean border. It was cold. It was minus 25 and, yeah, it was. It doesn't sound so great. California is going to be better than that, so you all know, okay? <laughs> Mexico, I saw, was in the 80s. Hallelujah. But anyway, um, uh, where was I? I was in North Korea. No, I wasn't. I was just north of North Korea. So we're there, and we're visiting an underground church, a house church. There's about 100 people in this church, and they literally met in a flat. You got second, third stairs into a flat, and they... This pastor had changed his house so they could have this big open area. And it really was mainly students, just quite a remarkable experience. And then they wanted to take us to a government church on the Sunday morning. And so we went to a very large church in Shenyang. And we went to the 11 o'clock service. They had had a 9 o'clock service. And if you went to the church, it was like an Anglican building. You could get about 1,000 people in. And then they had an overflow and you queued for the service. So I'm outside, it's cold, we're in the queue for the 11 o'clock. 
people right down the road. And then we went in and we went into the third floor, I think it was, second or third floor of the overflow, which was a thousand, like stacked. And you walked in and it was pews and you literally just sat, you didn't sort of, you know, like when we come into church, we kind of rock up when we're here. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you'll be right, there's going to be a chair. Yeah, so you don't need to queue. So you, yeah, that's okay. I much prefer you come than not come at all. So it's okay. So, um, but there you just, you just went and it was pews. And then in the corner was a little television screen. And so the Chinese were doing video preaching. This is about 15 years ago. I went far before we were. And you'd literally follow what was going on in the Anglican-looking building. Uh, but of course, after about 10 minutes, I'm there. And I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, this is, this is revival. I'm, I'm sitting, I'm experiencing this. This is revival. It's remarkable. People queuing to get into an overflow. So watch a little television screen. I mean, it was like about this size. But after about 10 minutes, I was kind of like, I'm not getting a lot out of this. Firstly, it was in Mandarin, so I couldn't understand a word. And secondly, it was so cross-cultural, it didn't kind of translate. I couldn't, I couldn't engage. And so it was one of these odd experiences where, you, like, I'm, ex- I'm in revival here, but I can't connect with it. And of course, I knew in my head that I'm going to have a 12-hour flight back, and then I'm going to come back to London. And London is very different to China. And uh, contextually, it's very different as well, because though this church has seen quite, quite a lot of growth, in fact, our danger is we're out of touch with what's really happening in the UK. I heard this week that the average size of a Baptist church in the UK now is 30 people. 2,000 churches, average size 30, and our large church is 180 people. Well, that's quite sobering, yeah? Uh, and it means that we've got to reach Lots of people uh, for Jesus, haven't we? And a big responsibility uh, upon us. But you've, you kind of fly back in and you come to Kings and it's growing, it's growing and people getting saved every week. And but it's very different to what you've just experienced in China. And I don't know about you, it's sort of like, we call it like cross-cultural shock. It's like, how do I kind of translate it's the same gospel. How does it work there? And many of you come from or been to or have families and friends in other nations with massive churches. And then you come in and you think, well, what, what's going on? And uh, the challenge we face is that we have to, as a church and as a believer, find a way of communicating the gospel which honors the eternal truths while at the same time is contextually relevant, culturally relevant impacts our community. And this is the tension that a a church has or a believer has at any given point. And you have to find a way that works in your cultural context. So my friend Edward Berea, a mighty man of God, leads a massive church in Kenya. This is how he does it. He literally will go into a village, he will put up, I've seen pictures of it time and time again, a, a, a wooden platform, stand on it and preach the gospel. People will respond, he pray for the sick, and then it start a church. I've tried that in the UK. I want you to know I've done that. I don't know if any of you have. I've done street work. Yeah. I want you to know I've only been hit in the face twice for Jesus. Yeah. Okay. One was that wasn't. I've done street work and I found it wasn't very fruitful, is my experience. Have you done it? We'll stand around in the cold with a guitar and singing choruses and we'd all be looking in because it's safer. And people, it doesn't gather a crowd. They just walk past in Africa, it gathers a crowd. And you proclaimed and preach. Contextually works. 
not transferable. I, I, I've tried that. It didn't work. I've, I've tried. I ran a non-alcohol-free bar for hundreds of young people, and we closed it the night I got beaten up. I've tried that. I got beaten up. Boom. Um, the other punch story I'll tell on another occasion. I felt it's just we'll leave that one for just leave you thinking about that. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've done this. I've stood on a, in a pub. I've gone in a pub and I've stood on a table in a pub and I've preached the gospel. Yeah? I want to tell you, it wasn't very fruitful, okay? No one listened to me. In fact, after I got down, I went up and started just talking to people and someone said to me, God, did you just see that strange guy? Just thinking, and I said, yeah, that was me. I Honest truth. And you can laugh at me, and I do. I laugh at me. But I want to find a way that is fruitful in presenting Jesus to people. Which is why when I was in a proper job, I used to run just looking groups for my work colleagues or, or whatever. I'd find, how do, we, how do we get the message? Now, uh, you know, greater thinkers than me uh, basically say what we're, what we're really talking about here is something called contextualization. How do you take the eternal truths and apply them in a culturally relevant way to London Urban 2019? That is the question we all face. Ed Stetzer, who is a, a brilliant writer, American. I've met him once. I follow him on Twitter. I'm interested by the articles he puts up, fuels me. Uh, he wrote a, a, a very helpful article in What is Contextualization for Christianity Today uh, magazine, big magazine, Christian magazine in the States. And just a couple of quotes. Hopefully this will earth it for us. He said in this article, presenting, contextualization is presenting the unchanging truths of the gospel within the unique and changing context of cultures and worldviews or involves an attempt to present the gospel in a culturally relevant way or thirdly, simply sharing the gospel well. I like that. Simply sharing the gospel well. As a church, we want to simply share the gospel well. Well, and what I want to do today is I want to uh, maybe lift a little bit, or lift the lid off a bit, and, and, and just explain to you at King's what is the primary way in our context we've found to be fruitful in sharing the gospel in urban London, February 2019. Not the only way, many other churches do it other ways, some better than us. Um, and there's in Scripture and through this series, you'll see lots of different ways we can share our faith, but this is the primary way at King's we do it, and it's like a plumb line message for us. It's like, let's look at all these other ways we can share Jesus, but this has been the one that has borne most fruit at King's thus far. It is just a model. We could throw it out tomorrow if if something more fruitful came along, because uh, we want to reach people uh, for Jesus. Um. Contextualization, the most famous passage on it is, and maybe example of it, is the Apostle Paul, who writes in 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And so there's an evangelist heart. How do I uh, communicate? How do I 
identify with my audience. So a good communicator is always thinking, where's my audience? How can I sort of engage their thinking and make it um, relevant? Uh, and the Apostle Paul, if we had time, you could actually look through the book of Acts where he goes to different uh, cities and he presents the gospel in a slightly differing way. He has actually quite a, an, a, a similar strategy that he's working on. Uh, very often goes into a city and goes to the temple. So he starts with Jews, uh, and, uh, but he has a, a, a strategy, but he's got flexibility within it, uh, depending on his audience. Um, the passage I was given today is fantastic because it really uh, models our primary strategy here at King's, which is come and see, which is invitational. Come and have a look at what God's doing. I'm going to read from John 1, verse 35 to 51. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What a great gospel narrative. I love it. I love it, the fact that uh, uh, John the Baptist introduced Andrew to Jesus. He says, look, it's the Lamb of God. And then uh, the, first, the first thing that Andrew does, he says, oh, man, we found the Messiah. I've got to go and tell my brother. Uh, reminds me of my brother. Uh, I became a Christian before my brother. Uh, he leads a church in Bedford now. I remember one night at a kind of youth camp, the night before he became a Christian, spending about an hour walking around, discussing with him the claims of faith. I so wanted him to believe. I couldn't make him believe, but I so wanted him to find Jesus. And that next evening, when he walked forward, woo, yeah? And that's what Andrew does. It. He's the first thing he does is, I've found the Messiah. Oh, Peter, come, come have a look. And then as the narrative goes on, Jesus moves on to Galilee, and he finds Philip and says, follow me, follow me. And Philip goes, oh, man, I've got to go and tell Nathaniel. And uh, 
goes and tells Nathaniel, and then Nathaniel encounters Jesus, and there's this encounter moment of revelation and comes to faith. Ah, I don't know how good we are when we compare to these disciples. I'm not, I don't know if you're Andrew-like. Yeah? The first thing I've got to tell someone, I found good news. It, it's, it's the hope of the world. It's about eternal things. It's not a small thing. How motivated we are. So what I thought I'd do today is I, I'd try and answer three questions. First, why? Why do we reach? I'm going to do that really quickly. I'm then going to talk about how to. And then the real thing that we need to look at is want to. Whenever I've thought about evangelism, in the end, it's are we like uh, Andrew who's got to find their brother? Uh, So I think the real issue is very often motivation rather than the model. So firstly, why? Well, why do we do it? Well, it's the Great Commission. No one would disagree that we have a commission. We have commanded, we have been sent, we're a sent people to go and proclaim, go and tell, to present Jesus, to preach Jesus crucified and risen and to baptise people in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I think you're all going to agree with me. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Yep, agree, Pastor. So the issue is not why. The issue is very often how and how do we do it contextually fruitful in urban London. And I want to share with you how we work that out today at King's. The first is that we believe the best way to reach urban London is through relationship, relationally, and allowing people to come on a journey. So we actually think the best way for people to come to faith is for you and me to go to our brothers or go to our friends or to our work colleagues and say, hey, look, I'd like, would you come and have a, would you come to church? Would you come to church with me? Or, Or would you do Alpha? And we found that to be the most fruitful way for someone to be allowed to encounter God but come on a journey. In fact, that, that's what happened to me. That's my testimony. Brought up in a Christian family, aware of God, thought church was boring and irrelevant. You know the story, you've heard it multiple times. Just, this is uh, boring. Then a friend died, eek, on a motorbike accident. Oh, wow, okay, that changes things a little bit. Consider Christianity Nine months it took, became a Christian. Um, There's a guy called Dr. Engel, and he's written something called the Engel Scale. Some of you have seen this before, but it basically describes this journey. It's just a bit technical. But many of us can sort of think, oh yeah, I I remember being there, and I come on a journey. I wonder if we could put that up. And he says that people are at just different places on the journey. So he says, if people are far from God, like he says they're minus 10. I doubt there are any minus 10 people here today, so you know. They are no awareness of God and negative attitude to the church. So they don't believe in God at all, and they think church is bad. If you're here, you're very welcome, but you're probably unlikely. What's more likely is that some of you here, in fact, we know it because you tell us when we do our church service, surveys, is that you're here, you're more like minus seven, minus six. You're here, you, you are... Ah, you're interested in the person Jesus, you have questions about the Christian faith, um, and you're, you're deciding to investigate, maybe you've just started to do Alpha, you're there. And that's fine, that's great. There's probably about 10 of you in the room, uh, if our survey is, uh, so the survey says, so 
And then most of us, we're down here, we're down at plus two. We're, we're, we're actually church attendants, we're Christians, uh, we've been filled with the Spirit. And actually, if you're at plus two, you've been baptized in water. Uh, just as an aside, if you're a Christian here, do get baptized. It's the believe and be baptized. It's, 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 it really isn't that complex. Um, but anyway, some of us here today, we're right on the edge. We're like, I think this is true for me. And so it's called new birth. It's a moment of revelation. And so at King's, we're happy for people uh, to go on a journey, and they can come as fast or slow as they like. And uh, that's really important to us. And I think you can see that the best way is a friend invites a friend that invites a friend. And then Jesus speaks and says, follow me. Um, The second uh, point or principle that we do on how to is that we believe in church-based evangelism. What I mean by that is our experiences, if someone connects and comes on a journey, they're far more likely to make it into discipleship if they connected to a community. Uh, and it, in fact, just what we have here is a powerful testimony to the work of Jesus Christ, just in the diversity of age and culture alone. That is a powerful testimony to people in a very fragmented society. So it's powerful. This, the church, in fact, the church is the body of Christ. Put it another way, we are Jesus to people that don't know him yet. What? Just think about it. Together we are, but also when you are in your workplace or at school, wherever it is, you are actually, you're like the face of Jesus to the world. Um, and so we believe in church-based uh, evangelism. I, I read a book a number of years ago now. It would have been maybe if I, just before I came to Lead King, some 24, 25 years ago. If you want to understand, try understand my, my kind of view on church, this quote uh, will give you a big insight into it. It was a, a little pamphlet of a book called Building Missionary Congregations, and it was written by a guy called Robert Warren. Not Rick Warren of Saddleback fame, but Robert Warren, and this definition gripped my heart talking about the church He said, at the heart of the distinction that is being made between a pastoral and a missionary church is the difference between a church organized around sustaining, developing, promoting its own life, and a church organized around participating in God's mission in the world to establish its redemptive purposes in the whole of human life. A working definition of a missionary congregation is thus. A missionary congregation is a church which takes its identity, priorities, and agenda from God's participation of God's mission in the world. And so I've always wanted to lead a church that is really passionate about reaching other people for Jesus. Uh, And the way we do church is shaped by that. Because churches have a tendency, and Christians have a tendency to, kind of the feed me, give me more information. I want to encounter more of God. And that's all good. But we're less good at actually reaching and telling people. And so we kind of tilt the church towards a missional lens. Unashamedly. If you were here at the encounter evening with Mike Pilavarchi, how many of you were here? He was funny. He was just absolutely hilarious. And he gave uh, this illustration at one point. He said, uh, he stood in front of his church. He said, look, I want you to know, who, who's, 
Who's the most important pe- person here in this church? Yeah. I mean, you know, who's the most important person here in the church? I mean, you know, when you, when you really stand back, who do you think... And he was deeply hurt, he's told this story, because they started shouting out the name of one of the other pastors. She wasn't... He wasn't you mean he, that person's more important than me? He said, oh, but who's the most important person in the church? And he landed it, and he said, do you know the most important person in the church is a person that's not in the room yet. I believe that. Because if you're a believer, we're all going to heaven. You know, our name's in the book of life. Woohoo! Yeah? But there are loads of people, far more than in here, out there, that ain't. They're going somewhere else. They're going where uh, Donald Tusk thinks some of our politicians are going. I mean, that's where they're going, yeah? Yeah. We're, we're happy. We're signed up. We're going to heaven. Whew. Lay back. Worship Jesus. Entertain me, pastor. Yeah? Ah, it's eternal things. Do you know, a missional congregation responds completely different to an encouragement request, ask, to move to 130. Yeah? rather than staying at the 11.30. A missional congregation does. Yeah, it does. So it goes, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to party Saturday night. Not too much party Saturday night. I'm going to have a lie-in, lovely lie-in, and then I'm going to come to church two hours later. Why? Because I'm a part of a missional congregation. I'm going to give up my seat for someone that's not in the room yet. That's a missional congregation. Oh, I can tell you didn't like that point. You're all going, oh, I don't know. But it's true. It's like, I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to show maturity by actually dying to something that I need because I'm interested in those that are not here yet. My family, we've discussed, we're going 1.30. Yeah? Thanks, Hillary, for that. Uh, <laughs> so it's church place. Third principle, it is rooted in a moment of follow me it is rooted in a moment of revelation or crisis where you realize that you are far from God. There's God here. There's you. Most people start thinking everyone is a lot worse than me, so I'm really quite close to God. It's not true. You are far from him. In fact, the more mature you become, you realize how far you are away from God, creator, sustainer, all things. Help. And Jesus comes in and bridges the gap. Hallelujah. There comes a moment of revelation from time to time. We would give an opportunity for people to respond to, to follow Christ, to Christ's call, follow me. And then, um, uh, fourth principle, when it comes to how we work this out, the how-to at Kings, is simply this, that the primary outreach strategy of Kings is in fact here and now. It is Sundays. Sundays is our primary outreach strategy. Mission at King's is not a department that the keen people do. Yeah? I would just put, oh gosh, I just thought they're going to, oh man, we're going to go to a party and they're going to talk to Jesus about people. I'm a bit like that, so you know. If you got to know me, I'd, parties are okay, but I just find there's bits too often a bit too much small talk for me. I want to get to sort of the real issues of life. And so I, I, I tend to end up in the kitchen and I try and find someone who's not a Christian. I mean, I'm really tactical about it, unashamedly. So there's a lot at stake. 
it from my perspective, okay? I'm, I'm really sneaky about it as well. I go out and I always, I'm genuinely interested, but I ask them what job they do. It's amazing, people, the jobs they do and you talk and I'm sitting there and waiting. Because most people are really nice and they're at a party as well and they're just trying to keep the conversation going. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you get it? And they go, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor and I'm in. Oh, my testimony, I'm in. And then I do it when I go out for a meal. I'm crazy. We're out for a meal. And I was out for a meal with my brother recently, and we've been really well served. And I said to the woman serving us, I said, I bet you can't guess what job I do. And I'm thinking, I'm setting it up. So I want to tell people about Jesus. Unashamed. She thought we were bankers. Uh, I said, Deb, you're married to a banker. Could be worse. Should have seen her face when she found out we were pastors. I mean, it was... It was hilarious. She stopped swearing at us. That was one of the things. So it's just, it's just, just hilarious. It's, it's just, just sometimes it just cracked me up. Oh dear. Uh. Tim Keller, a brilliant writer. If you ever want to understand contextualization, he's done some brilliant work on it. Uh, brilliant, brilliant man. Led a, until recently a church in New York. He's just had a succession plan. He's handed over at sixty-five. Uh, he wrote in an article I found extremely helpful, the large church goes through a front door Sunday's approach. By people like you and me inviting family and friends to join our community and encounter God. That is, that's been our story. That's quite simple, actually. Uh, we started with 150 people and we just kept inviting people along and you invited people along and they encounter God and they invite people along and then we get full up and we have to ask people to move from 11.30 to 1.30 or we had to do a building extension or we put another site and we do that because people are just, they're doing the Andrew thing. Yeah? Um, this is important because there are other ways of sharing your faith. And from time to time, a method or a model will come along, and it kind of comes, normally happens, very fruitful in another part of the world. And then you think, oh, I wonder if God's on this, and we'll do it here. An example of this would be something called the Cell Church Movement. Some of you had heard of that. Um, About 15 years ago, that was popular in the UK. I've got books on my bookshelf about it. I've got one that someone gave me, said you need to read this. It's called Small Houses That Changed the World. And, um, and actually 75% of New Frontiers churches in the UK adopted this model. And I, I, do you know, I just wasn't convinced. I don't know if I'm just, I think I'm, just think I'm a late adopter, to be honest. I'm a bit cautious, if you really got to know me. I thought, I'm not sure that's, that's worked. That's not my experience. It was basically that they, the, the idea was that you get saved in the group, you get saved in the cell. Uh, my experience is people getting saved on Sundays, but not in the cell. And when I thought about it, I think it works well in an on a shame culture and an extended family culture, uh, where there are lots of other dynamics going on. And so it contextually was fruitful in Asia, but wasn't necessarily fruitful in the individualistic UK. Um, so, God's blessed it, it's amazing, but it's not necessarily contextual to hear. And what we've found, the most fruitful way thus far, is to encourage you to invite your family and friends to a Sunday. And then our experiences is that God's here, in the worship, hopefully in the preaching, and they go, wow, I want to find out more, and they tend to go on Alpha, and then they encounter God, and then they become a part of the family, 
and we, yeah, rock and roll, we carry on, yeah? And that's what I really wanted to share to you, the, the how to. And then lastly, you're going to laugh at this, the want to. I'm going to give you seven points to land with. But to be honest, I'm over kind of egging. They're not really points. They're comments. Okay? And I'm going to take it from, I think, the, 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 most, the best New Testament passage when it comes to evangelism. It's from Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, if you, want to, if you are motivated to share Jesus to your friends, families, work colleagues, uh, then here's a great biblical framework for doing it. It starts with, as we did last week, with prayer. Um, Deb and I, this week, we were away, had a few days off in France, and uh, we, each day we prayed together and worked through the booklet, and we sort of looked at names of people, and uh, as you've been encouraged to do. Uh, so pray for someone, and then pray for an open door. Now this is, I don't know if I should say this, but have you ever sort of run this as like an, an experiment? I've found that if you pray things, you remarkably uh, how God answers them, yeah? It's like, when God does, I sometimes say, I should pray more, Steve. So if you pray for God to open a door for you to share your faith, oh, it'll be amazing. It'll be absolutely amazing. Because God would answer your prayer. And then obviously you need to take, as the pastor goes on, make most of every opportunity. There are opportunities come up and then you go, oh no, this is it. This is what Steve was talking about on Sunday and I did pray for it. And then it says proclaim. I think the best way to proclaim is simply to tell your journey, your story. And you can do it really quickly. Oh, yeah. How's your weekend? Oh, I had a great weekend. The preacher at the church I went to was amazing. Something like that as an opening line. That's a joke, by the way. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, oh, it's great. Sunday it reminded me of what God's done in my life because once I was, I, was, I was in a Christian family, but church was boring, and then a friend of mine died, and... Oh, it really brought me up short. And I investigated Christianity and found out Jesus was true and risen from the dead. And then I encountered God. I mean, if you want to, you can. Yeah? You want to be wise. You want to be salt and light. Some people say that actually the, the real way that we share our faith is, is called, the catchphrase is incarnational rather than attractional. I've presented a kind of emphasis here which is attractional. You invite someone. But really, most things are both and. And the truth is, is if you invite someone to church, they're going to be looking at an in integrated life. Yeah? So these things don't compete. In fact, they're totally interconnected. Which means if you're gossiping around or swearing or doing stuff you shouldn't do as a believer, if you then go and try and present, oh, the saviour of the world, they will connect it. They'll go, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't add up, does it? And so, of course, your lifestyle is really important. You know, there's, not only is it good for your own sanctification and spiritual health, but it's, it's a big issue when it comes to witness. And then it says, so be wise, be salt and light, um, make most of every opportunity, and then lastly, have an answer for everyone. My experience of doing evangelism over the years 
is that very quickly, and maybe the reason why most people don't do it is they know if you do, you're going to get a couple of tricky questions. You're going to get the one about suffering, you're going to get the one about the other religions, and you're going to get one about sexuality to starters, aren't you? And so those, you know that if you share your faith, that's what's coming back, and it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. And so it becomes a hindrance. And that's why we, uh, we've put on a, a seminar to help you. It's on the 19th of February. Andrew Wilson, our teaching pastor, has got a brilliant kind of apologetic kind of skill set as well. Annoying, isn't it, to have so talented people around? But there we go. And he'll be here to, to equip us to sort of give us some options on how to answer some of the big questions. It'd probably be good for us as believers anyway, but it would be great if you want to be an effective witness. As we close today, I thought, how could we land this? How could we make this sort of like earthed? And I thought to myself, I tell you, what about this? What about if all of us invited someone to our Easter Sunday service? Yeah? Think about that for a moment. Could you do that? It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a work colleague. You could invite them. The worst thing that could happen is they would say no. Yeah? That's the worst thing. Oh, okay. No, that's fine. I just thought you might like to come along. But actually, in our context, particularly our cultural context, there are loads of people that have sort of some awareness of God or some church background and if you invite them, they might well come on Easter, mightn't they? I, th- I think so. And the great thing about Easter, in some ways, it's, it's even clearer, maybe simpler than inviting people to a carol service. Because if you invite someone to Easter and they say yes, they know they're coming to a church at Easter and they're going to be celebrating Jesus crucified and Jesus risen. So in fact, if they come, they, already, they know what they're coming to. Yeah? And on that day... I think I'm, I'm preaching, actually, on that day here uh, at Catford. We'll have the 1.30 by then as well. So preaching and at leave four times in the morning. And I will do my best to share Jesus in a relevant way that's contextualized to where people are on their journey. And um, if we did that, that would be great. Do you know, that would be great because there'd be people queuing outside. Yeah? You think of that. You turn up and you think, I better get there early Otherwise, I might have to stay on to the one thirty because the 11.30 be full, yeah? Because if everyone invites someone, yeah? So why don't we do it? You think now, just you've been praying for people and that could be an opportunity that God gives over the next four or five weeks and you go, hey, would you, would you like to come with us to our Easter service? Anyway, I thought that might be a, a challenge that I'll, I'll leave with you. Otherwise... We've had a sermon which has hopefully been good, but if it isn't earthed, it doesn't bear ultimate fruit in our lives. And so that's the challenge I want to land with today. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. So Lord, we just thank you. There was someone uh, years ago that invited us to church. It might have been a parent, it might have been a friend. There's definitely a few friends that I can think of. Think of Nigel and his influence on my life and Ian and uh, the way they invited me along and... Um, I pray, Lord, as a church, that we would continue to, uh, that we wouldn't get passive, actually, as believers, but we would be intentional, prayerful, because we've got such good news. We thank you for the example of Addis, but Lord, we, we, we just don't want to run on a few kind of 
keen, gifted people. We want to be witnesses. We pray for Holy Spirit to fall upon us, to give us power to witness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.